0: the longing for peace is a universal human desire. From soccer moms to national leaders, everyone from anywhere wants peace, or so they say. Lester B. Pearson, a former Canadian prime minister, once said, of all our dreams today, he's speaking of mankind, there is none more important or so hard to realize than that of the peace in this world. And yet peace might be the least fulfilled dream mankind has ever dreamt. All we have to do is review the history of mankind and find that we are not experts at peace. We are specialists in loathing and blaming and distrusting and victimizing and undermining and killing. Our race does not lean toward peace, we lean toward war. For example, when the Allied powers met in Versailles in 1919 to end World War I, they didn't agree to peace, they just agreed to a ceasefire. Each side still harbored hatred and anger and animosity, disgust and bitterness. They only decided to just stop shooting, not stop hating. And the two sides, after this treaty, did not wage peace with even half of the effort with which they waged war. Friends, peace in our world is not just the cessation of hostilities. Peace is not the absence of flying bullets. But this, is the poor, this, is, this poor excuse for peace is the best our world has to offer. Why? Because in our dark world, mankind's dark heart Breaks, war breaks out of his heart, not peace. Why? Because humanity has war in his heart. And yet, all of us in this room know that there's a there's something inside of us that we didn't put there. There's this God-given yearning inside all of us to both know and experience authentic peace firsthand. And the evil one delights, delights. In fostering and fomenting all kinds of warlike conduct, malicious things like bringing division amongst friends, conflict between enemies, factions in churches, war between nations, and polarization in the midst of nations. And so we have to ask our question is our desire for peace to be forever frustrated? Yes, if you look to mankind's potential, or politics, or new laws. Yes, absolutely. But we look today in a different direction. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to remember that our only hope for peace is a hope that we already know. Today we're going to hear about peace, a peace that only God offers, and a peace each one of us in this room can experience remember what we've been saying about the armor of God the evil one uses his considerable resources to fight against us and this fight is perilous but our help is tremendous we lack the strength from within to fight but we are invited to fight so that we might stand with the strength that Jesus provides us so we are not alone we fight with the strength that he provides and no Christian can sit on the sidelines. Nobody can be Switzerland in this fight. We are all in it. And the armor images we read in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20 show us how to stand strong in the face of demonic and devilish opposition. We've seen in the last two sermons, the belt of truth, the belt of gospel truth, holds all of our armor together. Without gospel truth impacting our lives, we cannot stand. The breastplate of righteousness reminds us that our Savior has imputed His righteousness to us, and that we have no saving righteousness to work up on our own. Our protection is found in Him. And today, we consider peace as another tool in our fight. We're going to find that as Christians... As a church, we're called to wage peace. Peace can and must break out amongst us in a world full of war. Peace must break forth amongst us in a world marked by hostility and war. And so today we're going to hear that we're called to prepare ourselves each individually and all together, to tirelessly wage peace. To wage peace. Now I'll read again in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, and I'll read down to verse 15. We're going to focus our time on verse 15, but I read the rest for context. God's Word, inerrant and authoritative, says... Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, our passage for today, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I'll read it again. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Lord, help us today to hear and listen. So, how do we wage peace? First, we have to prepare for peace. You've got to look at verse 15 again, and you've got to realize this is a really weird sentence. When we see weird sentences sentences in the Bible, we shouldn't go, oh, that's weird, and move on. We should say, that's weird. What's going on here? This is not the way we normally talk. Verse 15 again, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, we could actually literally render this sentence, and strapping onto your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. Shoes is not in the original. So, what are we to strap onto our feet? Shoes? Well, let's look again. And, now drop that. Between the commas, drop that. Drop as shoes for your feet. And, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What are we to put on? Readiness. Preparation. What kind of preparation? The preparation and the readiness that comes from a thorough understanding of the gospel of peace. See that? So what what are we called to do? We're called to strap onto ourselves, onto our feet, the immature's feet, so that we can stand a readiness that comes only from the gospel of peace. Now, what does that mean? Well, it could mean one of two things. You ready yourself to fight the devil by strapping on the preparation that the the preparation that the gospel of peace gives. This means we should be ready to plunge into the fight with the gospel of peace as our firm and strong foundation. In other words, peace with God and understanding that and living in the good of that is our preparation to fight and stand. Or ready yourself to fight the devil by strapping on Preparation, a readiness to share the good news of peace with all that we run into and meet. This means we should be ready to plunge into the fight with the devil and proclaim the gospel of peace to those who do not know him. In other words, peace with God is our proclamation. So which is it? Is it something we enjoy and brings us stability, this peace? Or is it something we are to proclaim? I won't bore you with all my reading this week, but there's disagreement out there. And guess what? I'm going to say it's both. I'm going to say it's both. Okay? So we're going to say it's both today. Why? Because the gospel of peace is not just, <coughs> is not just the message that gets us into the kingdom. It's also the message that we must keep reminding ourselves on so that we might be fruitful soldiers in this kingdom. We need not just to think of the gospel as something we believed way back then that got us in the door, but now that we're saved, we're going, to con- we're going to move on to deeper things. That is not how it works. Also, we're going to see that the gospel of peace is not a message that we can keep to ourselves. It is the one and only message that we must keep reminding ourselves the kingdom of this world is dying to hear. They need to remember that there are not many ways to God and that there is only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ, and, the, and we must preach that gospel. He is the only way that the people in this world will ever be saved from eternal death. So we're going to wage peace in two ways this morning. First, peace with God is preparation. Peace with God is preparation. If you're a Christian, you might be confused, and you, and, and, and you might ask something like, Why do I need to strap on the preparation that is the good news that the gospel gives? I already believe I'm a Christian. I prayed a prayer. I got baptized and went down front. I raised my hand. I already know the gospel. I've been there and I've done that. Well, the New Testament and this passage would say it's good that you know the gospel, but that's insufficient. Why? Because we all forget. I'm not talking about getting saved all over again, but we Christians have a horrible memory. We can forget the good news of peace and forget to apply it to our lives. We can live like the gospel has no bearing on our lives. And if we do that, we will slip and fall and succumb to the evil one. We must fight to remember that we have peace with God because he is merciful and gracious and patient and abounding in steadfast love. Not because I was a catch and he needed me to do some stuff in his kingdom. We must remember that we have peace with God because His Son satisfied the demands of His holiness and righteousness for us, not because of our thorough obedience. We must remember that we have peace with God because He counted out my every sin and yet put them on His Son, not because I counted out all my sins and made amends. We must we must fight to remember that we have peace with God because we read in the scriptures that Jesus died for sinners. Not because I don't have peace with God because I'm always on a spiritual high. We must fight to remember that we have peace with God because Jesus rose from the dead for our justification. We don't have peace with God because we've risen to new heights of spiritual maturity. We have peace with God because He has freely given what we richly do not deserve. We need to strap on that preparation for this fight. See, we need to prepare ourselves by reminding ourselves of our standing before God. We need that kind of preparation. If you don't have it, you'll slip, you'll fall. If you don't, if we don't, as Christians, cherish and rehearse and remind ourselves of the gospel of this peace, we will lose our grasp on the gospel and be destroyed. And if you say, I'm good, I'm a Christian, I don't need to bother with that whole applying the gospel to my stuff, to myself. I'm good, I already did. I'm fine, I'm saved. You know what that's like when you don't live in the good of the gospel? It'd be like, well, imagine, imagine today if a player in the Super Bowl decides, I don't need to tie my shoes today. I made it this far. It's enough for me to just decide to put them on. I believe my shoes are helpful. I generally wear shoes, and I generally tie them, but today I'm just too busy I don't see the value. I've got other things to do. I've tied my shoes before. I know how to tie shoes. I want to understand the deeper things of football today. (laughs) And not get distracted with petty things like tying my shoes. I should be okay. Now, how's that going to go? Badly. That's what we do if we, as Christian soldiers, go into the fight with the devil without recognizing and preparing and rehearsing the peace we have with God and the grounds that we have that peace. This is how we maintain a readiness to fight. It's recognizing why we have peace with God. If we don't remember why we have peace with God, we'll slip, we'll fall. We're his prey. We'll be the devil's prey. Remember, the whole governing Command for this section is stand, stand firm, stand, withstand. And how can I do that if I don't tend to my footwear? How can we stand if we don't strap onto our feet, as it were, the preparation that only the gospel gives? We can't. So how does this preparation pay off? What does it look like? What are some of the things that the devil comes to us and whispers in our ears to tempt us? How can we apply this? What does it look like? Well, the devil can come to us and say a lot of different things. And if we don't, if we don't recognize, if we're not prepared, if we're not ready, if, we're not, if we don't recognize that the reason I have peace with God is not because of anything I've done, but because of all that he has done for me, we will fall. We will slip. And so when the devil comes to us and says something like this, you, my friend, and he's not your friend, but you, my friend, have a lot to worry about. And he says, the world is dark and it's scary. And there's no telling what kind of unspeakable, horrible thing is lurking in the darkness coming to get you. You should be afraid. You should worry. Or sometimes he says, you know, God must be mad at you. The Bible says he controls all things and he's good. And you're enduring all this nonsense. You've got this broken relationship over here. You're feeling useless over there. You're in constant pain. God must be mad at you. You have a lot to worry about. Or, you're such a worthless sinner. My gosh, what a loser. No one else struggles with the things that you struggle with. God's mad mad at you. He, He must be. He's coming for you. You better not go to him and ask forgiveness again. You better watch out. He sees you. He's coming, and he's going to get you. You have a lot to worry about. See, it's when the devil comes and says those things to our, se- to our own minds or when our own minds say those things to our own hearts, which that's a whole other conversation because sometimes the devil sounds like us. Okay, but that's another conversation for another day. We'll get to it. See, the reason gospel preparation is so important is because we get attacked with those kinds of thoughts all day, every day. And if we're not prepared, if we're not prepared to apply the gospel to those lies, we will fall. Do we, let's ask ourselves the question, do we have a lot to worry about? Well, on a human level, maybe. But let's take a step back. What does the gospel of peace say? Well, it says that I know I have peace with the Father because He has made war on the Son. At the cross, all hostilities toward me from God the Father have been poured out on Jesus. God in Christ has pledged Himself to me and promises that He will personally be with me to protect me. Pray for me by name. Mold and shape me into His likeness. Cheer me on, love me forever, work all things out for my good, and keep me close. He promises me these things. Do I really have a lot to worry about when I think about those things? Not in comparison. Now, we all know that this doesn't mean following Jesus is easy. It's hard. In fact, he is so committed to growing me and you and all of us to be more like him that he will use hardships in our lives so that we might be molded into him, into his likeness, and grow in godliness. No suffering is ever wasted. So, I'm at peace. You're at peace. If you're a Christian, you're at peace. I'm at peace with God. And he can use even those hard things to build us up into strong followers. Now don't expect him to explain how he's doing this or how this is going to be working out for good. He doesn't allow, he doesn't explain often, but he promises that these hardships that we go through will never be wasted. See, it could be he's allowing the hardships and the difficulties and the troubles in our lives to keep us close. Because some of us, when things go great, we wander off and it's like, woo! It could be that he's allowing the hardships in your life to remind you that you're not home or you'd get too comfortable here. It could be that he allows these hardships in some of our lives to get our attention. Like, hey, <laughs> remember me? You just got a diagnosis. You just got a call you didn't expect. You think you have everything under control. Ah, oh, guess what? You don't. It could be he's allowing hardships like this to help us learn to be content. It could be that he's allowing hardships to discipline us. Discipline and punishment are two different things. Punishment, there is no punishment for the Christian, but the Christian will be disciplined. Why? Because God loves his people and he's not going to just let us go off and wander. When we're in disobedience, he will chasten us. It could be he's allowing these hardships to kill the idols that we've erected in our lives. And some of those idols die nasty, loud deaths, screaming in our ears. It could be that he allows hardships just to remind us how much we need him. See, if you go through these hardships, and we all will, and you do, you're not prepared. You're not prepared. You don't have anything strapped to your feet. You didn't prepare. You didn't rehearse the gospel of peace. When you go through something that feels like war, you're going to think, what's wrong with me? Or what did I do? Or I must be the worst. Well, if you're a Christian, what you need to remember here is this. Actually, actually, this is a problem, but, my, but I am at peace with God, even though it feels like I'm not. See, this is where we need, as Christians, not to trust how we feel, but what the Word says. Those are two different things, two radically different things. See, this means that we, have pe- we can be confident. We can be confident. Not in ourselves or our abilities or even that things are going to work out okay or even that it's going to get better around the corner, but we can be confident in Him. He is our peace. And He is committed to us. He will not let something come to us that can topple us. Now, I'm not saying that worry and anxiety are a small matter. It's not. Anxiety disturbs peace. But, friends, as one who struggles, like this. This is why we must rehearse and remember to strap on this preparation. Because the gospel gives us all the tools we need to fight anxiety and to fight those messages the devil puts into our minds and our hearts. So when the devil comes and says, this world, well, it's dark, it's scary. You should be afraid. How do we prepare ourselves for that answer? What, what does the gospel of peace do? We can say, well, the world is dark and scary, but I'm with Jesus and He's with me. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what He's doing. In fact, I'm more confused than I even know what's going on, but I know my Savior is with me. He will not leave me. I'm committed to Him. And even more, He's committed to me. This is how we prepare ourselves to tirelessly wage peace. When the devil comes and says, God, he's mad at you. He must be. Look at all this bad stuff. We can say, I know God. I know God is not mad at me because he was mad at his son. All the sins I've committed have been paid for on the cross. I do not have to fear his anger. There is no anger anymore for me. It is gone. Yes, I richly deserve for him to be very angry, to be irate, to, be, to come after me and to take vengeance upon me. But miracle of miracles, he does not because he is merciful and gracious. And he does not treat me as my sins deserve. We need to prepare ourselves with that message. Bind it to our feet. And when he comes, the devil comes and says, you are a wretched sinner. You're worthless. We can say, I am a sinner. But that doesn't make me worthless in his eyes. I have been bought. I have been paid for. I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. My Savior is now where I get my value and my identity. I get who I am from Him. Yes, I deserve death. But I am now in Christ and I cannot be rejected. See, this is how we prepare ourselves tirelessly to wage peace. This is how we strap it on. We rehearse it. And so when He comes and says you have a lot to be worried about, we might have some things to be worried about but we have more reason to be confident than to be afraid. The gospel of peace shows us this truth. Sometimes the devil comes and says, you have a lot to be mad at. says things like, well, you have a right to complain. The people in your life, they don't respect you the way they should. None of them realize the gift you are to them. Or that person wronged you. You have a right to be resentful. Even more, you should let other people know about that resentment. It's your story. It's your right. You should tell everybody. You see, the subtle message of the devil here is that God is not good to you. This is the lie that goes back to the garden. The serpent convinced Eve that God was holding out some kind of gift and that it wasn't safe to trust him. So how do we prepare ourselves to tirelessly wage peace in situations like that? Do we have a lot to complain about? Notice the question is not, are people treating us rightly? They often don't. But how do we answer this challenge? Well, we need a change in perspective. Nobody in our life is going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. People are going to sin against us. People are going to disappoint us. People are going to hurt us. The gospel of peace does not ask us to deny the fact that we've been sinned against or disappointed or hurt. We live and breathe and have our being around other sinners. That's going to happen. The gospel of peace reminds us that of the many sins that we've committed against God, he holds none against us. Therefore, we can freely forgive others. See, we have been freely forgiven. Therefore, we can forgive others. How bad were the things that we've done? Well, we had a death sentence. All of us fell short of God's standards. We were compromised. We deserved punishment. And yet we receive peace. See, here's the logic of the gospel of peace. If God can forgive me, I can forgive anyone. If I've been wronged, I have two biblical choices. I can confront them with their sin and forgive them. Or I can overlook their sin and forgive them. But either way, we're called to forgive as we have been forgiven. That's what the gospel of peace is. That's what it does. Now, forgiveness does not mean that we restore the relationship we had immediately to what it was in the past. No, especially or even ever in abusive situations, but even in every situation, we do not have the right to carry resentment around. Imagine if our Lord carried resentment toward us. Imagine if God the Father carried a chip on his shoulder against me that'd be I'd be in bad shape right there that'd be the worst news ever because I'd have to wonder is he really going to be good to me is is or do I have to be afraid I, no the gospel of peace does not does not allow. I've been forgiven freely and totally. He does not hold anything against me. He does not hold my sins against me. He is not resentful of me. Therefore, I must not be resentful toward other people. So when the devil says, you have a right to complain to other people, it's only being authentic. The preparation we have in the gospel says this, my experience from God is grace, grace, nothing but grace. It's forgiveness from the top all the way to the bottom. If anyone has a right to complain, it's my Savior, and he does not. He willingly went to the cross and died for me. Yes, I can pour out my heart to the Lord and complain and ask why and say, Lord, please help me. But not to other people. This is how we prepare ourselves tirelessly to wage peace and to strap it on. And so the person who's wronged us, and the devil says, you should be resentful. How do we strap on preparation? I'm going to say, I don't want to stand on my own rights before any person. I cannot stand on my own rights before God. If I stood on my own rights and what I deserved, I would be in big trouble. I deserve death and hell, not life in heaven. This is how we prepare ourselves tirelessly to wage peace, and we have to strap it on. If we do not have this gospel of peace as our foundation, we will strip, we will slip, and we will fall. We have, as Christians, peace with God now, and peace with others in this church and every gospel-preaching church. And we're soldiers of this peace, and we must fight Not to forget and strap on this preparation so we can stand. Peace with God is preparation, but also peace with God is our proclamation. Peace with God is our proclamation. We must be ready to share the gospel of peace with everyone in our lives who do not know Him. It is ironic that we Christians are getting marching orders into war or to stand in the face of the devil as he attacks us and the topic of peace comes up. This only happens with Jesus. How ironic. This is how we know that the only hope for peace in this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think we Christians, as we go forth with this peace to unbelievers, we need to remember how very disruptive This message is. The gospel offers peace, yes. But first, it makes war on self. And as Christians, if we've been a Christian for a while, we can forget that. That's so uncomfortable. We forget how uncomfortable, how odd it was. If you were saved like 40 years ago, you forgot all that because you're old. Me too, I'm old. But, we need to remember how offensive and how disruptive the gospel is. The gospel, at first blush, is not going to sound to the unbeliever like a message of peace, but it's going to sound like a message of war. Think about some of the language that's used in the Bible. You must be born again. You hear that? How broken are you? Well, you're still so messed up. There's no material we can work with here. No remodeling possible. Got to start over. Born again. Another one, one of my favorites, is you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead? This means you're careening through life like a spiritual zombie. You're able to move around, but you're spiritually dead? Dead. Yep, dead. Even more radical, you cannot, despite what Instagram says, you cannot save yourself. You are not capable of anything you want to do. That's the American heresy right there. You cannot save yourself. You cannot find your way to God on your own. And it gets worse. Not only do you need to be saved from your bad deeds, but you need to be saved from your good ones too because they're not good enough. Now, that's a disruptive message. Like, let's remember just how disruptive this is. We tell people who aren't saved about this, and they're like, and that's nuts what? That's crazy. Yeah, it is. And let's embrace the disruptiveness. It's incredibly disruptive. And this is why we need to remember that we are Christians who are called to preach this message, this gospel message that brings peace with kindness and gentleness and patience. See, we need to strap on the preparation, our preparation to go out with this message of peace All of us are commissioned to preach the gospel of peace where we live. Some of us are commissioned by the Lord to go to other countries. And you should go. Talk to mature Christians, your pastors, talk to your small group leaders, one of the elders. But we are all commissioned by the Lord to spread the gospel of peace here, today, now. Now, remember, Christians, our enemies are not the unbelievers out there living like sinners because guess what? Sinners live like sinners. Our enemy is the devil. And the unbelievers in the world are his unwitting victims. So we must not get angry at them. We must feel pity and sorrow for them. And remember that this message of peace is first going to feel like war. Now, in every age, so, so we need to remember how disruptive it is, but also we need to make sure we get the gospel right In every age, there is a temptation to adapt the gospel so as to remove all offense from the message of the gospel. And in every age, this temptation is different. 1,600 years ago, it was offensive in the culture to say that Jesus was the God-man. Equal God, 100% God, 100% man, and he was the only one who could save you. 400 years ago, it was offensive to say that all religious observance, no matter how pious, could not save hundred years ago, it was offensive to say all good deeds or altruistic deeds, those don't save you. Those don't mean anything eternally. Elizabeth Rundle Charles nails it when she says this. It is the truth which is assailed in any age which tests our fidelity. It is to confess we are called not merely to profess. If I profess with the loudest voice, and the clearest exposition, every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point with which the world and the devil and the, and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christianity. Where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all battlefield besides is a mere flight and disgrace to him if he flinches on that one point. See, today the temptation is... To say things like this, you can follow Jesus and you don't have to change that much. Today the challenge is in the area of sexual ethics. See, when we follow Jesus, we submit ourselves to him and we are completely and totally his. We are called to lay down our lives and to take up our cross daily and follow him. And as Christians, we must be clear. This isn't what we lead with, with unbelievers, but we must recognize That as Christians, we cannot compromise when it comes to sexual ethics. Divorce for any reason is not okay. God has created two genders. Cohabitation and sex outside of marriage is always wrong. Homosexuality is not, practicing homosexuality is not a Christian lifestyle. You cannot decide your identity by what you feel about yourself. See, ours is a call, the gospel call, the gospel of peace, the gospel of grace, the gospel that comes is a call to repentance. And these are the things that our culture is going to have to grapple with. It's going to be very tempting, and you're going to see churches in different places that are going to back off this kind of stuff. And say, it's radical to follow Jesus, but not so radical that it changes you in your bedroom. False. See, this is why it feels like war. This is why it feels like war to the unbelievers. The gospel is disruptive. So we must strap on the preparation, the readiness, be nimble enough to be kind and patient and gentle. See, as Christians, we need to stop thinking of evangelism as a rally where people can raise their hands and come down front. We need to recognize that we are all commissioned to go out amongst the world that we live in amongst our community, amongst our neighborhood, at school, at work, everywhere we are, and reach unbelievers by befriending them. First, praying for them, texting them, having coffee with them, fishing with them, going on walks with them, studying the Bible together, maybe having late night talks, maybe going to the gym, maybe cooking together, maybe having a lunch together, maybe watching their dogs when they go on vacation, maybe visiting them in the hospital, maybe helping them move, maybe letting them help you move, and texting them more, and more phone calls. It may take 1,347 different contacts like this with that person for them to understand and and grasp the gospel of grace because it is disruptive. And I'll tell you what, what's going to make a difference in these people's lives is not the, the answers you can give, but the life you live. As you express peace And kindness and gentleness. As you are prepared to have that peace and kindness and gentleness define all of your interactions. It will be compelling and interesting. Nobody, people don't get argued into the kingdom. Like, man, if I could come up with a really good argument and go, bam! Oh, you got me in my spiritual solar plexus. I'm coming in to follow Jesus. I think we can be clear about what the gospel is and its demands without being contentious jerks. If we wanted to gain a social media following, we can go out there with unbelievers and make them look stupid. Because they're, well, (laughs) sorry. Their worldview doesn't hold together. So, anyway, that's all I'm going to say there. We'd get views, we'd get notoriety, we'd get a following. But we're not going to win anybody like that. We have a different kind of preparation. I believe, our, the, the, I believe that as we interact, the sinner church interacts with the community, the effect of our interaction, with some measure, has to be peace, kindness, gentleness. If I want one testimony about us, it's this. They're kind. They're, so, they're gentle. They're kind. They're gracious. They'll tell you what's up, but they're kind. They're gentle. They're peaceful. Why? Well, The gospel message is disruptive enough. If they're going to be offended with us, let them be offended by our Savior and his demands. Not our opinions about Hunter Biden's laptop. Or COVID. Or our climate change. Or what evil corporations are doing the jobs. Let, us, let them be offended by our Jesus not not our social opinions not that those things don't have a place but friends the gospel is disruptive enough may we go and bring peace the gospel has listen the gospel has plenty of confrontation to go around right just unleash the gospel in the lives of your unbelievers and just watch it move around right Boom, bam, boom, 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 like a a pinball machine. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, wow, Wow. I'm going to watch that. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Woo, that looks like it hurt. Ooh, that's going to leave a mark. Yeah, just let the gospel go forward and slap them around. Because that's what it does. Slapped us around, right? Jesus comes to us and he says, listen, you can't be who you are right now. If you do, you will live apart from me in eternal death. And so... That's not going to, you want that? No, I don't want that. Okay, well, I'm going to have to change you from the beginning all the way to the end. You're going to need to become a new creation. I'll give you the power. I'll give you the strength. I'll do everything. You just need to follow me. Okay, I will do that. Oh, but it's hard. Oh, it's going to be really hard. But I have strength that I will give you. He, He comes to us and does these things and calls us. He demands that we consecrate ourselves and follow him and recognize that we have no hope in this life, no hope without him. And so, when we share this gospel with other people, they are going to have that kind of disruption. Step back and let it go. And let the word do the work. So, friends, this is why we, we, we need to get ready. So, each of us individually and collectively, we need to be prepared. We need to know this gospel of peace so that we can stand. We're prepared. Ready to stand and so that we can proclaim. Last week I said, as I closed, that I wanted the devil to be discouraged when he thinks about our church. I've thought better of that. I don't think that's enough. I want him to be confounded, confronted and repelled when he thinks about our church. Why? Because nothing will frustrate him and his purposes like a church bent on waging peace together. May we wage peace. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would help us each, Lord. I mean, goodness gracious, we're so weak. I'm weak. I'm the front of the line when it comes to weak people, Lord. I've got weakness aplenty, Lord, but you've got strength, more strength than I could ever imagine. And so, Lord, I pray for us. I pray for us each. I pray for us all. I pray for us, Lord, to be able to be people who are passionate about your gospel, so passionate about your gospel that we seek to rehearse and remember who we are in you and the peace we have before you each day. I pray that you would help us to be people who go out and preach and proclaim and with kindness and gentleness and patience and 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 long-suffering attitude that we go amongst unbelievers and communicate the love of Jesus Christ with a disruptive message of the gospel. Lord, we pray for efforts, our efforts, Lord. First, I pray you would just Get our attention, Lord. I pray that this this move of the Spirit is real and that we would see in our day just a pouring out of your presence upon us, your people. I pray that you would throw open the windows of heaven and pour out your presence and power. I pray that you would rend the sky and come down. I pray, Lord, that we would be convicted of all those times and places that we've valued the wrong thing or secret sins that we've harbored. Things that we've loved that aren't you. I pray that you would help us to care most about eternity and you. Inflame our hearts, oh God. please. Amen.